Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Brain surgeon, not stressful. Waitress, extremely stressful. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Yeah, still trying to get my kids to agree to this one. So far, they are not on board. Mommy is trying to nap. With Margaret Abel's and Amy Wilson. Not being yelled at by a coach to run another lap because it was soccer time. Yeah. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Enjoy your locus of control. You can call out the window. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. (laughs) And this is Amy. And today we're talking about why kids need more independence than they're getting these days. I believe in this. I mean, it made sense. So there was a study. I love a study. This is a great study because I came into this. I'll read you the thesis. Our thesis, this is Peter Gray at Boston College and others, put out the study saying, our thesis is that a primary cause of the rise in mental disorders among children and teens is a decline over decades in opportunities for children and teens to play independent of direct oversight and control by adults. And I... Read about the study and like, that's a big claim. That's a big thing. Coming in hot. To put on, they should be able to play by themselves more. And I wasn't sure I bought it, but am I giving away the ending to be like, I'm a believer now after having like looked at the research behind this? I mean, I'm definitely a believer. I don't like anything that's like, it's mom's fault and scene. That's annoying. Right, annoying. It's not mom's fault, but I do think the world has changed a lot. And I now have an 11, 13 and 15-year-old, and they are in a very burgeoning independent phase, and I'm finding it is testing my commitment to the cause because it is really scary, and like weird, scary stuff happens to kids who are out on their own. And I also think that it's one of these things that we are probably mostly talking about high-income hyper-educated parents when we make these kind of statements, because I think that this is not universally true across America about all children. And I think that there's so many variables here. Mm -hmm. But I do think that in general, that kids only 
participate in supervised organized play is a problem. Well, I think you're so right. And I'm so glad you started with like, I don't want to spend this episode talking about how moms are jerks because they don't let eight year olds ride the subway by themselves or whatever, like or that moms who do are somehow champions of coolness that the rest of us have to aspire to. This is complicated. And as the research sort of walks through, we've gotten this way a little bit at a time. And maybe we need to like go back to a little bit of time. So like there are certainly two things that go together, right? Decline in kids' mental health. It's been happening slowly but steadily over 50 years. And the decline in kids' independent play has seen like a very similar trajectory. But correlation is not causation. And I kind of came into this like, why would they even be related? Like, am I really going to grow up to be a profoundly depressed adult because I didn't like dig in the sandbox enough? That doesn't really make sense to me, but it's not that simple. And I also think we have to say that it's against a backdrop of what is, because I feel like people like to say, like, what the world has changed so much. In fact, the world that our kids live in is comparatively very safe. And like, that's an interesting factor that the safer the world has gotten in some ways, the more committed to our kids' safety we have become. And it's interesting. Like our kids, I've been reading that book, Tell No One, about the troubles, the Irish troubles. And it's like, you know, these kids are just wandering through a war zone 24 hours a day, like going to school. If you've watched the show Dairy Girls, it's so great if you haven't seen it. But, you know, our kids are growing up in comparatively calm times. And safer times comparatively sometimes, and also more supervisable, right? Like, you know, we just went out and let's go back to the 70s when I was growing up and let's go back. You know, I came home from school, changed into my dungarees as quickly as I could. Had a cigarette and a beer, (laughs) got down to playing in the backyard. I wolfed down some ho-hos. Remember those? They were like snack cake. I don't have to remember them. I still have them in my kitchen, Amy. How dare you? Little Debbie's, you know, something like that. Little Kool-Aid. And off I went. And I was like, not to darken the kitchen doorstep until the church bells at the corner rang, which was about 620. And that was like the neighborhood, like, Ollie, ollie, oxen free. Everybody has to go home for dinner now. Streetlights are on. Time to come home. Mm-hmm. Until the streetlights came on. Like, it really... If you didn't grow up during that time, but you've watched Stranger Things, and the kids just, like, do whatever and ride around on their bikes and have whole, like, worlds of adventure that the adults aren't read in on, that's, like, that is kind of what it was like, except for the aliens. Right. And we would play our neighbors. We would play baseball in the backyard, make up our own rules, solve our own arguments. Did some? Did my sister get a baseball bat straight to the face at one point and break her nose? She did and had to go to the hospital. Yes. I mean, there is inherent danger in these relationships. And I will say, I'm joking about my sister, but also a lot of bad stuff happened. You know, I mean, I talked with Dr. Camilo Ortiz on a recent Fresh Take and like, my husband is always like, we rode around in the back of the pickup truck to Dallas. You know, they would literally pile in the back of the pickup truck with their dog and drive on the highway to Dallas. And they were like, we were fine. It's like, okay, you were fine. But like 5% of the kids got in a fender bender and like kids flew all over the highway. I mean, that it's not, you weren't fine. And also in unsupervised situations, bad things did happen to kids. Kids were abused by older kids. Kids were abused by adults. Bad things did happen in these situations. And so I don't really like the facile, like it was paradise. 
But it was also a world where, you know, four-year-olds could cross the street to play at their friend's house, where 11-year-olds had paper routes in the, like, pre-morning darkness where they were riding their bikes around the neighborhood by themselves. And I don't know if it was a good idea or not, and I don't think we could go back there if we wanted to, but it was true. I think we also really worry about the wrong things, and we can get into that. Like, when you hear about a kid getting up at six o'clock in the morning in the dark to deliver newspapers, you think that the danger is that a stranger is going to pull up in a van, pull them off of the bike and kidnap them. The chance of that happening is infinitesimally small. Like, that is actually not a valid concern. No matter how many true crime podcasts you listen to. Which is part of why you're having this problem. (laughs) Spoiler alert. But... The danger is, back in the day, they're going to get hit by a bike. They're not wearing a helmet. They're going to get a head injury. Sure. That's really the danger of what's going to happen. It's really not the dangers that we worry about. And I do think, you know, people worry about the wrong things. Kids have more freedom today. So this study made an interesting point. Have more freedom in like what they can wear, you know, what they can take in school, how they can identify themselves, right? Like some things are better. And the study sort of argues like, yeah, that's all true. And the one thing that is less free is the opportunity to engage in activities that involve personal responsibility and risk to some degree without adults overseeing them. But your risk calculation is also wrong because they're sitting at home with a phone that can access the world's worst information at the touch of their fingers. And so like the unbelievable danger that is outside your door, the call is coming from inside the house, Oldie Lux alert. Back in my day, there are a couple of factors that I thought were like, wow, I never really thought of it this way that have sort of changed since we were all, you know, riding our bikes with the banana seats around the neighborhood until it got dark outside. So here's what they were. The study kind of ticks through them. The first one was what they called CIM, Children's Independent Mobility. Guess what country in the world has more CIM than any other nation in today's world? Yeah, Finland. Finland. <laughs> okay. They do everything right. They, we, I mean, maybe the takeaway is you all move to Finland where the babies sleep outside and the CIM rate of independent mobility is much higher than in the United States. Yeah. I mean, we have a friend who moved to Denmark and she's constantly posting and it's like, right. She, her kids get home and they're like, oh, we went out to the ocean today and we were jump grabbing fish out of the pond. And it's like, I never signed a permission slip. Like, I, yeah, no, it's just like, oh, we just got on our bikes and rode 40 miles to the ocean and just grabbed yeah. fish. Yeah. I guess they're still doing that in Finland, at least according to this study. Yeah. They don't have tort laws in Finland. And that's a big part of this. Tort laws meaning like we sue people if you get on a if you still you sue the school if they get in a bike accident on the way to the yeah yeah right yeah. you slip and fall on the ice outside some other things about school these were some some data that I, I really thought was fascinating since the 1950s to now I mean long time but still over the last 75 years let's say the length of the school year in the United States has increased by five weeks it's five weeks long and I, I thought I'm like yeah I thought so I thought we were like out of pretty much done by Memorial Day and did not start before Labor Day. And now I feel like the kids have like 10 minutes off in July. We go like a full month after Memorial Day. And then they come home with four hours of homework. So like, when is this free play happening? Right. Homework is another factor. Exactly. Homework, when we were in early grades, 
I had to like, you know, color a worksheet once in a while, like in kindergarten, first grade. I don't think I had any homework in kindergarten. No. No homework. In no, you should never. I, we didn't have homework before fourth grade. Right. Right. It didn't exist. Now it exists. Somebody just put in our Facebook group that her three-year-old was sent home with a like, draw these letters. Oh, no. Worksheet that a three-year-old is like manifestly incapable of doing. Like a three-year-old does not have the fine motor skills to do such a thing. It's preposterous. Not available for us. The creep is real. The length of the school day has also increased over the last couple of generations. Makes sense. Recess time has decreased. Yes. Some kids don't get it. Some kids get 20 minutes of it. Some kids have like indoor recess for, you know, terrible reasons. And so all in all, putting all this together, our kids, speaking for you and me, our kids are spending about 11 hours a week more on school and homework than you and I did when we went to school. 11 hours a week is like, I mean, a 40 hour work week. That's like, like, yeah, it's an additional like almost day of the, yeah. Yeah, It's it's half a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a full day because you're asleep. It's a full day of work. Yeah. Yep. Those are the school related factors. Way more school and homework. And I will say, I will push back. My mother was a therapist who worked a lot with teens and she definitely had complaints about schools that weren't supervising enough, that kids were dealing with very, very difficult bullying. And so this is probably 30 years ago. Like kids were dealing with incredibly difficult situations at school that they were not equipped for and that there was not enough supervision of the kids, like basically in between classes and in the hallways and that she was always frustrated that kids were kind of like sent to the wolves in certain schools that she worked with. That there should be a little more supervision. And so it's not facile answers. Like I get that like, oh, there's a recess aid and that means that kids don't have to work it out for themselves. There's also a recess aid that means that like the kid is not getting brutally (laughs) bullied. Right, punched in the face or bullied. Yes, yes. And scared to death. And, you know, these answers are not going to be as facile as we would like. You know, and then there's a lot of this, like, just send your kids out to play. But these days, again, over the last generations, it's less backyard play because, like, great idea. Send your kid out to play. Who are they going to play with? Right. Everybody's at like Taekwondo lessons. Right. Everyone else is at Mandarin class. Yeah. 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 Nobody's home. Nobody's around. Nobody's outside because it's not safe or they're too busy. And so it's not as easy. So if you want your kid to play with other kids, more and more kids playing with other kids is taking place in, you know, my gym is what this called in New York City, like indoor tumble spaces or playgrounds, you know, things which are great, but which involve implicitly adult supervision and sometimes explicit, like now we're going to do this. Now we're going to do that. Right. Super soccer stars. And it is hard. Like I have a kid who tends to have this group of friends that he loves playing with. And I started at some point, like every other Friday, they would all come to our house. We have kind of a big yard and they can go and we have woods and they can go and play and explore and get crazy. That's Friday nights. And I buy two boxes of pizza and some sodas. And like, that's my contribution to the entire thing. But I did, I mean, the kids get, these boys are insane. Like they do the stupidest stuff. Like at some point they had a yoga mat and they were putting like soda on it and sliding through. I mean, they do incredibly stupid stuff. And I did get a sense that when the parents picked up the kids who were like dirty and sticky and like had obviously been like rolling around in soda, that they were like, what the heck? And so I kind of sent an email out and I said, here's the thing. This is what I provide, a backyard 
And that's it. I don't watch them. I don't supervise them. And so if you're not comfortable with that, like I get it. I don't really want a kid. I mean, there's woods behind my house where there are logs over pretty deep holes. Like I don't want a kid ending up in the hospital after playing at my house. You're not going to stand there. Mm -hmm. I do think it's important to let them do it. And if I go outside, you know, they're just, the kids are like, I think I said this to Dr. Ortiz, the game is let's hit the baseball. Oh, I have a can of Coke. Let's hit cans of Coke. Now let's pour cans of Coke all over each other. They just make bizarre choices. And yes, I would stop them from doing that if I was outside, but I'm not. If you happen to be looking out the window, maybe if you're walking by from the... But I kind of obnoxiously don't. And so, but I see where it's not particularly safe what they're doing. Well, I'm going to tell you that I think you are very much on the right track for reasons we're going to discuss right after this. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. (laughs) But all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. All right, Amy, validate all my choices. Tell me why I'm the best. Okay, I'm going to validate the heck out of you because, again, okay, so we know why play went down and we know I won't depress you with the statistics of depression and anxiety among young people. But here's one cute one. A recent study called Stress in America studied everyone in the United States. Like what kinds of people in the United States are most stressed? Teenagers were the most stressed people in the United States. I do not think that's only because of not playing enough outside. 
Being a teenager, I read a fascinating study a long time ago, and it was saying, it was ranking stressful jobs. And the stressful jobs were shocking. Like, you would never have guessed them. But I remember one of the very stressful jobs, like brain surgeon, not stressful. Air traffic control? Maybe not, though, because brain surgeon, not stressful. Waitress, extremely stressful. Uh, Yeah, that makes sense to me. Because your sphere of control is really what makes you stressed out right? You're stealing my thunder here, but yes. Oh, no, I'm jumping ahead. This is exactly it. Like if you're a brain surgeon and you're good at doing brain surgery, you control how it comes out. If you're a waitress, you're between a customer and a cook and neither one of them are doing what you want and you're just relaying bad information back and forth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so there are three reasons that kids in the backyard deciding that they're going to hit a can of Coke and see what happens instead of, you know, instead of you saying these are the rules and this is what we're going to do. There are three reasons this is good. And the first reason is I'll give you the scientific version of what you were just saying about the waitress. Locus of control. Locus of control is a mental health concept that's discussed at great length in this study. By the way, I'm linking to the study in the show notes and you should definitely take a look at it. There are two locuses of control, one's internal and one's external. When you have internal locus of control, you feel like you have control over your life. You can solve problems that arise. You are in charge. I mean, even a brain surgeon. If you're good at it, you're, you've got, it's up to you what happens next. And if something happens, it's a little bit surprising, you're going to be able to handle it. External locus of control is when things are happening that are beyond your control and how things turn out are under control. Oh, interest. Maybe an air traffic controller, a kid being bullied. You know, these are external, these are, your locus of control is outside. So no matter what your age is, no matter how old you are, what situation you're in, we are more satisfied and have more well-being when we feel that we have an internal locus of control. Like, that's everything. So it goes two ways, right? So then experiences that give you an internal locus of control actually give you more well-being. Like, oh, I don't know. Like, we're in the woods and you're like, oh, I'm going to, like, make a stick bridge to climb over this not dangerously deep, but, like, I probably wouldn't want to fall in it cold and dirty hole. And then I build it and then it works. Like, that's going to be very satisfying because it's given you an experience where you had an internal locus of control. And you oh, literally right, so that's That's one obstacle. reason. Yes. Well, the second part of that is that risky play, like climbing in trees and stuff, is like particularly useful because it helps kids develop internal locus of control. And that's one that's particularly hard for a lot of parents, I think, to let the kid stand yeah, on the slide. This is why you have to let kids yes. play when you're not looking at them. I mean, I literally, I have woods, but like I turn around and I find kids like up in the trees. And I, I'm like, I'm glad I wasn't looking at you do that because it would have made me very nervous. But there you are. Enjoy your locus of control. You can call out the window. Great locus of control. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. You might want to get down now. Yeah. But it's worthwhile. Like they're doing a good thing when they're doing it. God, that. we undercut this so much. I just think about being at the playground and like the moms are like, is that kid okay? It's like three-year-old climbing a two-foot ladder on sand. Like, what are we so worried about here, people? Mm-hmm. Or going up the slide the wrong way with maybe somebody else coming down, but they both weigh 22 pounds. Like, it's okay. Right. This is how we do it. Yeah. We smash into each other. It feels good. The other reason that play is important, and why play is connected to mental health, like, it makes sense, but really, yes, it is. So there was a study where six to eight-year-olds were told to draw pictures of what made them happy and then explain what was happening in the picture. And almost everything they drew was 
I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. That's when they had to conceive happiness, they drew themselves playing. Or they drew kids playing. That was happiness. That equaled happiness to kids. Right. Not being yelled at by a coach to run another lap because it was soccer time. Yeah. So then there was another study where kindergartners were shown two sets of pictures. In one set of pictures, kids were say they were having, let's use your example, they were playing, you know, baseball in one picture. They're playing baseball and having fun. And in the other set of pictures, they're playing baseball and they're having fun, but there's a coach standing there or there's an adult watching in the picture. And the kindergartners only called what was happening in the picture play if the adult wasn't in the picture. I mean, listen up, people. That's incredible. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? Right? If it's just kids in the picture, that's playing. If there's an adult picture, then that became they're learning how to play baseball. They're Mm -hmm. learning. They're being taught. They're deep, deep. I like that. Yeah. They're at baseball practice, right? It's really deep. And then there's other studies that have shown that the presence of an adult, you know, they do like actual studies where like they give kids blocks to play with and they run a version where there's an adult standing there watching them and then they run a version where they don't know they're being observed and they play very differently and much more sort of expansively when an adult isn't watching them. Yeah, and I do think that this is a skill that is missing in general and then it can be hard when you have kids together and they constantly come to the adult, like, well, he did this. I remember watching my sister-in-law years ago with her two sons fighting over something. I think we were at the beach. Like, I want to use the pail. He's got the pail. And she just kind of very calmly turned to them and said, well, figure it out or play something else. And then went back to what she was doing. And I thought, wow, that's kind of extraordinary. Like, figure it out or play something else. There is no neutral arbiter who's going to come and solve all your problems for you because you can see where down the road, you know, and people use all these examples and I think they get a little bit tweet tweet maybe, but of kids who are calling their moms to talk to their college deans and stuff, but that the idea is kids who cannot solve problems without a, an adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think some of that is like apocryphal and it's fun to make fun of, you know, the hovering helicopter parent. But there are a lot of older kids and college students, yeah, who are at college right now, pretty unhappy, maybe unable to make decisions. And a little bit, I mean, let's be really honest, like a little bit delayed launch because of COVID when we were all stuck inside together, right? For sure. And the other thing I want to say about this, because I think that it's not, we haven't talked about it yet, and maybe you have it somewhere, but a lot, we're talking about kids who were kind of born on a pedestal. And that a pedestal feels rickety at a certain point, like being born on a pedestal, you know, you're safe every day at kindergarten is your special day. You know, my kids, I would say their elementary school is like Wonderland. I'm like, not every day has a theme and it's always fun. And we have a buddy bench in case anybody feels, you know, not that I'm goofing on the buddy bench. I like the buddy bench, but you know what I mean? Like every conflict is resolved. And I think that part of the mental health crisis is a little bit innate to kids who are born into very favorable circumstances. Because, you know, you think the pedestal is home. And then as you come into your theory of mind, and you're a teenager, you're like, oh, my gosh, like, there, the world is very difficult place. And that hasn't touched me, but it's going to at some point. It's not just that they haven't played outside enough. And that it is hard that kids, there are kids who have not faced a tremendous amount of adversity. And they have, I mean, my dad talks about this. My mom and dad grew up, they were born 
before the start of World War Two. They grew up as children with like people, you know, in their neighborhoods and going off to war and not coming home, coming home injured, like in difficult situations, rationing, lots of stuff that informed their life. But I also think they were born into a philosophical parenting, which is like, life is hard, suck it up, get over it, and move on, you know? And I feel like we were on the cusp of this, but certainly our kids are born into like, you can be anything. And like, it's just the expectations of life are very, very different, I think. I remember one of my uncles saying like, we never expected a job to be fun. That was never part or enjoyable. Like that was never part of our story. P.S. I had jobs, right? Like I was babysitting and I, I had a job after school by the time I was 14 and it was a different time. And that our mothers, it was like, are you going to be a mom, a nurse or a teacher? Those are your only choices. So there were certainly downsides of that. And we've talked with people about like not being allowed to express your emotions was hard in different ways. But I do think this like open field is very anxiety producing, you know, the idea of like, you can be anything. And by the way, you better be something because everyone's something super impressive, right? As long as it's special, because you were born special, you were told you're special. And like, someday you're going to be 40. And you're not gonna be that special. You know, <laughs> it's depressing. The buddy bench thing. It occurred to me when you're saying about the buddy bench. It actually is an interesting example, because I think it is an example of doing the right thing, which is the buddy bench exists in case anybody's listening doesn't know what we're talking about. It's something that you can have in a play space that designated if a kid doesn't have anybody to play with, if a kid's feeling sad and lonely, they go and sit on the buddy bench. And then if another kid wants to, you know, be their friend or wants to play with them or wants to find out when they're, why they're sad, they go join them on the buddy bench. It's not a place where a teacher sits in case anybody's sad and needs company. It's not a place where like... Um, a teacher tells you to go over, although they probably do. Conversations with guideposts. I mean, maybe they do, yeah. But but it's going back to this locus of control thing. Like if a kid feels like, I don't know what to do. I want to play, but I feel like I have to wait for somebody. Else. Like there is something you can do. You can go sit on that buddy bench and take charge of your own situation. Like I'd like to take part, but I don't know how. It's a way out. Besides, you know, crying, I mean, for the teacher to rescue you. I think that's really true. And I also think that what we've missed a little bit is that it's scaffolding. The buddy bench is scaffolding. It's a little bit of help to solve a problem that a lot of people have. And that what we've done instead is like there's four aides walking around the playground being like, I'll play with you. You know, I definitely had a kid who was struggling socially. And when they talked about who they were playing with every time at recess, it was like a 34 year old woman who was clearly a playground aide. And I was like, hmm, I'm not sure that's your best option when you're a first grader. But God bless. I'm glad you have somebody. But I think that whether or not there's a one to one ratio of not free playing and then being an anxious teenager. I mean, I think there's something kind of baked in the cake right now in people who have security in their lives in general, that like your childhood is basically like Disneyland and fairy tales. And then when you're a teenager, you're like, Nietzsche Machiavelli suddenly come in and you're like, wait a minute, what? Like the world will meet you at some point, you know? And I think it can be hard to like, toughen up and get grit in kids who are, you know, very privileged children. But I do think independence can be very key in that, like, let them yeah. go out and face the world. And I have an example I want to discuss with you after this break. 
Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. And now, how we're doing on our New Year's resolutions. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Get more rest. Yeah, still trying to get my kids to agree to this one. So far, they are not on board. Mommy is trying to nap. Have more cheese every day. Okay, technically, I added this resolution January 6th in a moment of desperation, but on the plus side, this one is actually going really well. Stop following celebrity gossip. It's such a waste of time. Okay, but what if Travis and Taylor announce that they are getting married? I have to check that. I mean, this one was really fair. Stop eating snacks in bed. I have actually decided that bed snacking is an important part of my mental health care routine, so that resolution has been dropped. No more yelling at my kids. Listen, in my defense, how can they not be able to find one shoe every single day? This has been How Our New Year's Resolutions Are Going. From the Wet Fresh Hell podcast. So I, my teens are starting to do a lot of things independently. And it is nerve wracking. One of my kids recently had an outing where they were at a big giant mall And in a kind of boring long story, one of the stores closed. And so they had to go out the exterior door of the mall and come like walk all the way back around into the mall through a different entrance. They were seeing a late night movie. The stores were closing. All this to say they ended up out in the parking lot where another group of kids approached their group of kids and was like hassling them, I would say. You know, it wasn't dangerous, but it was it was a little thing going on. And... 
my first reaction is like, okay, no more nights at the mall, you know? I mean, it in this case, it was nothing really bad happened. They got into like a small confrontation. I think the other kids were being like kind of aggressive and like frightening them, certainly, but not nothing really bad happened. Mm. So yeah, I think that what we're coming to is that kids will do things where they can get hurt. Like you have to have that as part of the equation because you can't guarantee that. I mean, and people will say this like, well, we should let have kids have more. Cl- okay. But what happened is like, there was a kid in my town who something terrible. Ha- yes. Like that, unfortunately is part of the equation, but also on the other side of the equation, there may have been a kid in your town who was sitting at home upstairs in their bedroom on a phone and doing something that you really don't want them doing. Like the idea that we can keep everybody safe all the time, sadly, not available to you. I think there's a sliding scale too. Like if the kid standing at the top of the slide falls off the slide, I mean, he might break his arm. It might be unpleasant. He might get a boo-boo. He might bump his head. Like, it's not great, but there's a continuum between that and, like, sometimes kids are snatched off the streets and they never come back. Like, we, and I think we try to protect our kids from each of those things as if they're in any way equal. Dr. Ortiz said something really interesting that struck with me that he was saying, because I was like, where do you start with this stuff? Like, you don't want to pull the reins all the way back. And he said, you should start with things that are psychologically dangerous versus physically dangerous. And I was like, oh, that that seems smart to me in terms of like, like, give me an example, like a challenging thing for them to figure out, which is like you figure out how to make dinner on your own. Like that's a mental challenge that is challenging. But you don't start with like, I was using the example my sister-in-law talked about like climbing trees as a kid and that there was one place in this like tree climbing thing that she did that was, she had to lose contact with one tree to grab the other tree. And she was like 20 feet off the ground. It's scary. But like that that's this formative memory for her and like, you know, oh, it made me so strong to do that. See that? Right. And she'll never forget that. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to suddenly send my kid up a 20 foot tree. And, and I think that that's right. Like starting with things that they can figure out for themselves and also that are not particularly dangerous. My 15 year old, he's definitely old enough to do this. We went to go watch the marathon in New York city and he wanted to go a little bit later. And he said, what if I take the train to grand central and then find you in the city? And he's not a city kid and we haven't done a ton of this, but I walked him through the route and he has a cell phone on him. I was like, yeah, go ahead, figure it out. Mm -hmm. And it was, I was definitely like a little nervous. Like, I guess he's going to take the train to Grand Central and then he's got to get on two different subways. And, you know, that's weird stuff happens in the subways. It's a lot. It's a lot. It is a lot. Yeah. But he figured it out. Yeah. that It's like a puzzle to solve versus like you need to take up running around in the woods dangerously. And I think the other big test that we tend to do is aim for yes when kids want and express independence. And Dr. Ortiz talked a lot about this, that a lot of the stuff he does is he just sits with kids and says, what's something you would like to do independently? And it's like, well, I think I could get myself to school. I think I could make dinner. And and then seeing if the parents are comfortable with that. But you kind of have to start from a yes and then think, well, I don't want them to walk to school because Why? Because they could get cold is not a good reason to not have them walk to school. Because they could get kidnapped is not a valid reason to not have them walk to school. P. 
Peter Gray in this study that we've been talking about, kids' independence and mental health and how the decline in one has led to a decline in the other. He gave the takeaway that we need to, instead of putting off activities, like I'm going to let my kid take the train to Grand Central by himself and find his way around the city, instead of putting that off, train them, like give them the tools they need to handle that. I still do this with my kids who are out in the world by themselves, college students, Let me tell you something, like when your kids get to college age and they've been looking at their phones while you've traveled as a pack for the last 18 years, sometimes they don't know, you know, and they don't know what gate their flight is at, like they might text you and then you say like, you're going to find somebody who looks like they work for the airline and you're going to walk up to them and ask them and like, you might have to walk them through it, but giving them those tools ahead of time and then having them do it. Now, you know, having listened to this episode, it's you're helping them literally increase their happiness in the future because they're in charge of themselves. They have independence. They can do these things. We have to arm our kid. I'm sure you told your kid, like, if you get on a train going the wrong way, then you you let me know. If you get there and you're not sure where to go, then there's a big clock in the middle of Grand Central and there's people there to help you. Like you tell them how to handle it themselves rather than say you're not ready to handle it. Yeah. And I do think that the idea of letting this inform the way you parent is very important. So like, you're at the pool with your kids, they want a snack. They're five, six, you give them $5. And you say, go to the snack bar and get what you want. If you want, figure it out, you have to wait, and then they're going to come back, and they won't have change. And you'll say, go back. The first time I let my kids go to a diner by himself, I was like, don't forget to leave a tip. And he I think the bill was $14 and he left two twenties. I was like, okay, so that was too much of a tip, you know, but this, they're learning it and then you're redirecting them versus you're sitting over them and talking them through it. I think that whenever you look at the world and think like, what could my kids do for themselves? Like, And also, it makes your life so much easier when they're older. And then I think we have to do some work around is the danger thought that I'm having actually true? And there's never going to be a 0% chance that nothing goes wrong. But, you know, could your kid be sitting at home and a meteor falls on the house? Yes, that could happen. But it's not going. I mean, we can't live our lives that way. And so, yeah, I think the sliding scale of danger and the sliding scale of, you know, opportunities that you're letting them take advantage of is really, really important. Yeah, it's a sliding scale. Exactly. So I was just having a discussion with some other moms about this this week. We live in New York City. My high school student walks to school. It's about a mile and a half walks every day through Central Park to get to school, which you might be listening to this like, what? Like (laughs) that there's like dead bodies under every tree. Like they're not. It's good. Central Park is not scary. (laughs) Yeah. It's especially in the morning. It's, you know, full of people riding their bikes and walking their dogs. Like, you know, it's a city kid thing that we feel comfortable with this child doing. But I was sitting with some parents because we were, they were saying the walking's one thing, but now they're riding bikes. And the thing in Central Park is if you want to ride a bike, you kind of have to ride on the same road as the cars go. And they're not exactly going to have helmets because they're riding like the city bikes that you use and dock. And so these parents were having a conversation, including me, about like the park is one thing, but I'm not sure I'm there on the riding the bikes on the road yet on like, you know, across town street. And I feel like those aren't the same thing. It doesn't mean I have to drive my kid to school every day, right? Like you can be like, I don't really love the idea of you taking a city bike, but I'm gonna let you walk. It isn't like, you know, mommy's gonna hold the umbrella under you the whole way every day. 
There's got to be a way, something you can figure out. Well, I think that's interesting that the scale slides both ways. Because I was also thinking about, I live in a football town and Friday night football is a big deal. And so my kids started going to the games and I was just dropping them off. Like, I'm not going to a Friday night football game in, in this lifetime. You will n- never. And it became clear to me personally pretty quickly that like there was a ton of bad behavior going on around the game. This is where we were seeing a lot of like the young people like drinking and vaping and getting into fights, you know, physical stuff happening. And I was like, I don't think you need to be at the high school football game when you're 11, you know, and it's kids of all ages. But to me, it felt too much like a complete free for all that was not really teaching good skills. The skills it was teaching was like how to vape in the woods. And I, my choice was, I don't think y'all need to be out in the woods with a bunch of teenagers. That is not interesting to me as a learning experience. If you want to be with a bunch of teenagers with no alcohol in my yard, climbing trees and playing games and figuring things out for yourself, I'm all for those skills, but I'm not for four hours of unsupervised teens in the woods. And I think that that's where I slid the scale back a little bit. Like, oh, I think this is a little over your head right now. And you don't have the skills to navigate situations where things that are much more advanced than you are happening. And so I think it's hard to make blanket statements. Like, I would be fine with my 11-year-old riding the train into the city and taking the subway somewhere. There's plenty of adults around. There's plenty of people to ask for help. Like that's a situation where you're independent, but there's a ton of scaffolding around you. I don't want her in a situation where there's mixed ages doing nonsense out in the woods with no adults around because they've snuck away from the adults. And so I don't think it's easy to say like, this is one thing, you know, I'm not ready for that. She's not ready for that. No, but she's not supposed to be, right? Like there's an 11-year-old at a high school party is not a good idea. But a high school kid at a high school party needs to be armed with the things that they need to do rather than you saying you can't ever go to football games as a high school junior because something bad might happen, right? And when the time comes, she'll be ready. Well, and I think where I come down is like, this is a realistic danger. Underage drinking, underage romantic activity and vaping. Those are dangers. Like that's an actual danger that I don't want my kid exposed to. So I'm going to keep them out of that situation for a little longer than maybe some other parents. But I think when I look at like, I'm worried about my kid riding his bike to school because someone could kidnap him, that I'm like, I got to cross that off. I don't think that's as realistic a danger. And so I think sometimes we're kind of bad at reading what's dangerous. Yes. Right. So find those places and give your kids more independence because you now know that it's actually contributing to their to their happiness and their joy and their well-being. And it's worth finding, you know, pushing on the boundaries a lot. It's worth it. Amy, agree. We solved it. (laughs) We solved it. We solved it as always. This reminds me of the newest addition to Atlas Media, the Thousand Hours Outside podcast. It's, it's 200 episodes of inspiration on how to get your kids outside. The goal is a thousand hours a year. I mean, that's a lot of hours, but Ginny does it. And in every episode, she walks you through how you can prioritize outdoor play for your kids, which of course is all about independence and doing crazy things. Absolutely. Check out the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. And with that, friends, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, everybody.
feel like you're the martyr in your family, you're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the no guilt mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.